1: Hello and welcome to another ArsBlog Arscast, right here on ArsBlog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Hope you're warm. I'm looking out my window to snow and sleet and ice and winds, and it's pretty grim out there. And it's also pretty grim uh, in terms of what's going on with Arsenal on the pitch and off the pitch and everywhere else. Uh, it's not been a fun week, it's fair to say. Two three-nil defeats in a row to Manchester City, both of which highlighted and hammered home the absolute golfing quality between the two clubs, the two teams at this moment in time, the two managers. Whatever comparison you want to make between us and them, they're far better than we are. And you can say, sure, they've got a billion million bazillion pounds. And that's true. They do. But that's in some ways to mask the issues that we have because we've also been bad against Bournemouth and Swansea and Ostersunds and Nottingham Forest. We've lost seven games in 2018 alone. We've won just four from our last 14. These are very trying times, very trying times indeed. But I suppose the one comfort that we have is that we're all in it together. A problem shared is a problem halved and all that. And considering how many Arsenal fans in the world there are, by the time you have the problem by all those fans, we don't have any problems at all. So that's my conclusion. Thank you very much indeed for listening. It's been wonderful having you along. Have a great weekend. Catch you on the next one. Cheers. Bye-bye. <coughs> No, I suppose I better do like an actual podcast that would be... That would be welcome. In a little while, I'm going to chat to Philippe Eau Claire about Arsene Wenger and the situation that he finds himself in at this moment in time. But to kick us off this week, last night, uh, I caught up with Andrew Allen just back from the Emirates Stadium, a very, very chilly Emirates Stadium, not least because the empty seats meant that you couldn't even get any body heat going. So it was, uh, it was a rough night, and I spoke with Andrew about the game and everything else. After this, we'll come back and talk uh, to Philippe about everything else.
2: Hey, good evening. How's it going? Uh, it's going all right. How are you? Are you thawed out? My feet are freezing cold. Um, this was the first time in 20 years that I wore a hat, I think. So... um yeah, I knew it was going to be cold and it proved to be exactly that and Arsenal did literally nothing at all to warm me up.
1: No, no, they didn't. I was just trying to draw figure out what uh wearing a hat had to do with your feet being cold, but I guess they're two <laughs> separate things. You gone kind of off in a different direction. What was it what was it like because look, the Emirates Stadium has Since we moved there, it's had you know a few nights where the crowd hasn't been the greatest, but you can always understand to a certain extent why. And maybe there was to an extent an element of the elements playing a part in this because the weather was so bad. Uh, you know, a little bit of snow, it was quite cold. Um, I think as well, just the general apathy of, of what's going on this season played a significant part in the fact that there were so many empty seats. But it must have been strange being in there. What was it like?
2: Yeah, I mean, it, is a bit, it, it, it has been strange. I mean, bit by bit this season, the stadium feels like it's been emptying out. And I got the vibe this evening that quite a lot of people on top of all of the kind of reasons you just outlined, probably didn't want to go because they just knew we were probably going to get spanked by a really good team. And with the game on TV, you could just happily watch that in the warmth. Um, it's all the usual things, really. I mean, everybody who makes the effort. There's a sort of sense of gallows humour about, you know, what's going on, and you kind of have a chat as you always do before the game, and you know, you sort of mumble, mumble, mumble about things got to change at some mm. point, and Will Benga go, and you kind of bond over all of that. But actually, you know, it's still very depressing once the kickoff starts, and you start watching your players chasing shadows. And City were excellent this evening. They were excellent, but we. We look so bereft of any confidence whatsoever.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's it. There is certainly an element of looking at Manchester City. You can't not say that they're not a, a you know a, a great team. They they really do play some lovely football. But I also feel like with a couple of the goals that uh, we, <laughs> we we could have done better uh, from a defensive point of view. Um, but you know, I, it,
2: it certainly felt like that. I mean the I mean Sane went on that really very eye-catching dribble that sort of set up the first goal. But at the same time, as that was playing out, I was like, for God's sake, someone put a foot in because, you know, we just didn't seem to get anywhere near them. Every tackle seemed to be sort of slightly half-hearted. Even Jaka couldn't foul him. Exactly. I mean, that's, that's, that's even, even the one thing he's good at, taking people out off the ball when it's obviously going to end up in a yellow card and he couldn't even do that. <laughs> I don't think anybody in the stadium... Genuinely thought that Aubameyang was going to score that penalty when it was awarded. Either it was just felt like this would just this would just be the classic kind mm. of cherry on top of the shit cake um, that we've been feeding on for the last five days. But there we go. The the uh, the second half, I think, um, perhaps one
1: of the saddest things about what was already a pretty sad evening was the fact that City so obviously took their foot off the gas, that they looked at the situation like they did at Wembley on Sunday and realized this game is won. There is literally no point in us expending any more energy than we have to. I think if they'd wanted to on both occasions, if they played at the same intensity and the same level that they played at to get themselves 3-0 up, they could have been 4 or 5 or even 6-0 up in both of those games. And to me, that was that was difficult to watch because we all realize our team has got some issues at this moment in time. We all realize the manager is struggling to make things work or to correct the errors that are there. But when you see a team like City, who are now 30 points ahead of us in the table, almost in a kindly way, stop playing the way we know they Mm. can play. That tells you a lot about where you are.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting because the last team that I really felt came to the Emirates and just walked all over us and did all the damage they needed to do was was, was Bayern. And when Bayern kind of scored their goals, they just kept going mm. and they just kept walking through us and it just felt very painful and you were watching it unfold like it was a car crash in front of your eyes. And I did kind of have the feeling that might happen in the second half. I think the only thing that really played in our favour was the fact that City had played us twice in a few days and probably were like, yeah, as you say, very confident about the fact the game was won, but also physically probably quite tired themselves. Um, We're a very strange team. I mean... Is strange the
1: right word? Is strange (sighs) the right word? Would bad not be a better word?
2: Individually, there are some very, 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 very good players Mm -hmm. on the football pitch wearing Arsenal shirts. Collectively, they haven't got a fucking clue what to do with the ball when they get it because the number of times it feels like we're passing the ball out from the back, Mustafi back to Czech, Czech to Koscielny, and you just think, who are you going to pass it to next? And they're kind of, you can see it in their eyes. They're like... I don't know who to pass it to. And they might give it to Xhaka. Xhaka will then try something. Then they're closed down. I mean, City exacerbate the situation. They really highlight how bad a team can be on the ball when they're under pressure because they pressure so much. Yeah. But we we were just so so bad. Really, really poor. And, you know, when you see teams taking short corners, as we did a couple of times, and not get the ball in the box when you've sent all of your centre-backs forward stuff like that drives me nuts because you're just completely shooting yourself in the foot, especially when you you sort of concede possession and then suddenly there's a break on all the yeah. players that you put forward are the ones who were supposed to be at the back. And we're just, I, it feels like there's no system. There's no kind of understanding of the basics. And, you know, it was really, really weird in the second half, even though obviously the game was gone, that Wenger just chose not to change anything. Like, yeah. didn't bother at any point to kind of turn to the bench and go, you know what, let's, at least throw a couple of players on. We've got a game on Sunday against... Uh right we may want to arrest someone
1: for that one because this one's gone yeah so odd so what, odd what what did you what did you put that down to I mean I just will point out that one our probably our best chance of the second half came from a short corner where I was in the middle of going another fucking short why why you <laughs> it almost felt to me with the short corners like they were deliberately doing something they were told not to do because they were doing it all the time and they weren't I just don't know why I got that sense I could be just projecting it could be me but then there was a, a move which ended up with Yang volleying not far wide. Yeah, um, yeah, I do remember that, yeah. But uh, yeah, going to the substitutes, yeah, uh, it was, in some way, I'm trying to figure out, in some ways, can I understand it? No, actually. You know, I know we all knew, everyone in that stadium knew the game was done and dusted, right? They knew mm. where the points were going. So why not? Why not play? Are you punishing the guys who are out there now? Is that what that is? Is it a kind of a punishment to them to say, you've got to play the 90 minutes having let me down again? Or, you know, did it feel almost indifferent? That's what it kind of felt like, that there was no... Look, you can read too much sometimes, can't you, into a manager's body language in, in what they do on the sideline, if they're jumping up and down, if they're animated and all that kind of stuff, but there's also something to be read into a manager who just sits down and holds his head in his hands repeatedly while the man beside him looks on in some kind of zombified horror, which is all that you can associate with Steve bold at this stage. It's just like he's sometimes you look at him and you, you think he's thinking, I'm, I'd love to kill these
2: cunts. I'd love to just kill them. But what? I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it When you see Arsene not even bothering to to get animated, then you really have to question because, you know, there was one thing you always guaranteed he would at least have a, you know, a moan at the referee or something, you know, anything. All I think I saw him do was get up and have one moan about a a free kick that he felt should have been given, maybe five minutes into the second half. Yeah, on Welbeck. Yeah, yeah, a sort of vague attempt to sort of um, rally the troops a little bit, but it was just, it was just sad to see. He sat there. Looking as depressed as every fan who is watching on the difference is that he's the he's the guy who's supposed to be able to change things. The rest of us can just shout and scream from the terraces and we we obviously don't influence anything at all, yeah, um, but
1: does that not transmit itself to the players? Can they not sense that? Can they not see that? They're not getting any guidance. They're not getting any rollicking from the sideline. They're not getting any encouragement from the sideline. They're not being told what to do, when to do it, how to fix things, You know where to go, when to run, how to move, how to reorganize, perhaps to, to uh, adjust to deal with the way City are playing. When, when the manager is that um, passive,
2: is it any wonder that the team at times looks the same way? I mean I can only assume that he must have got the vibes all week off the off the training ground that this you know their their confidence is so fragile anyway that the idea that you might stand there and sort of berate them for not doing their jobs. I mean the fact is all the work has to go in on the training ground, right? Once they get on the pitch, you can shout at them a bit but you mm. know you can't do loads and loads to change the way that they are. The fact is it just never feels like we you know we change formation twice in a week to play the same team. Mm. Admittedly, something there might have been something to do with personnel. There, he said after the game, he wanted to be a bit more attacking because he'd been accused of being a bit too passive in the final. I mean, it just strikes me that he didn't really know what kind of system he was supposed to be playing, you know, or that he didn't—I don't know—he obviously doesn't trust holding him uh, Chambers now after the back of some of their recent performances. Has um, he watched Mustafi? Oh God! I mean, I—I'm <laughs> just- sure, sure he's a nice guy, and. I don't doubt the effort, but I just, I just, yeah, I just, I just, I think there's there's something that's sorely lacking there. Um, You know, it's a a, a calmness of head you need when you're kind of faced with a daunting opponent Mm. and he's just so rash and that rashness sort of transmits itself to other parts of the team, but also comes out in some of his passing. He's impatient. He's an impatient person. Yeah. There was a moment in the, second half where he
1: got turned by a Manchester City player about 35 yards into their half. And I was looking at it going, "What are you even why are you there? Like, what Mm. are you trying to do there? And, you know, for the first goal, I think he, was it the first goal? Yeah, maybe the first goal. He got done twice. Could have been the second goal, actually. I can't remember. One of them Sane did him (laughs) twice anyway. Um... (laughs) Uh, he he took the ball as Mustafi came in. He took the ball and then gave him a shimmy and sent him the wrong way and, and set off on a run. So it could have been, I think it was the second goal actually where Aguero played it to to Silva. And look, you know, we, we've got to give some credit to City for playing some beautiful football. I think uh, James uh, from Gunnar Blog made a really good point about how sad it was to see Arsene Wenger in a half-empty stadium watching uh, his team get beaten by a team who played the kind of football You know, his teams used to play, but, you know, we don't help ourselves either. And I just wonder, I just wonder, you know, where do we go from here? Or if, if this is what we are, do we, are we a team now that simply looks at Manchester City and says, okay, we can't compete. We can't deal with this team. So we just turn up, go through the motions, or, you know, try try as much as we can, but just put the defeat down to the fact that we can't compete with them, contextualize it like that, and then try and, I don't know, beat Brighton on Sunday? I mean, is that where we are, that we can't I'm, compete?
2: I'd, I'd go along with that if it weren't for the fact that I sat very cold last week watching us lose to osterson yeah. I mean, I know that was a, yeah. you know, a, a different scenario, but it was a completely different level of quality opposition, and – we were making the same types of mistakes, unable to make simple passes to to players in the same color shirt, mm. defensively getting turned all over the pitch, committing when we shouldn't get committed, midfield pushing up too far when, you know, the opponents you know have got pace on the break. I, there's something fundamentally wrong now, and it feels like it actually isn't even a case of personnel. Like, it's just you could put any players into that team brilliant players, terrible players, and they would all end up playing and delivering the same type of performance. Yeah. I think that's really worrying. Um, I honestly, I don't, you know, I look at the fixture list now and we've got what Brighton away and away game. We're terrible away from home, Milan away, obviously, you know, that game, if we don't turn up and put a half decent performance in, cause they're on a bit of a run at the moment, we could end up, you know, the second leg might be neither here nor there <clears> as it was in the champions league a few years ago. Um, Watford at home, Watford have a pretty decent record against us at the Emirates, then Milan again, and then Leicester away, and then Stoke. I mean, it's just like, I, I, I just don't see where the wins are going to come from at the moment. I wonder whether the players are thinking the same thing. Mm. Uh, just finally, if you could pick one
1: word to describe how you feel about Arsenal right
2: now, or what's going on, what would it be? Helpless depressed i mean i i the the fact is i think everybody and their dog knows now that the only change that will really benefit the club in the long term is a shift in the manager a change in the manager and if, if the club isn't going to make the decision on that and we're going to wait for arson to do it himself then that means we have another 16 months of this I think that, I, yeah. that's 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 not fun, you know. We we, we pay some of the most expensive tickets in the entire country, if not Europe, if not the world, to go and watch a football team who were not very good. And Arsene, you know, Arsene's legacy should be the fact that we are a fantastically well-known football team, have a philosophy of playing, playing in a beautiful sixty thousand-seater stadium. We moved from Highbury to the Emirates, and by the time we come to the end of Arsene's reign, we're going to end up with you know, capacity crowds that wouldn't even fill Highbury. Yeah, that struck that's, me tonight. That's yeah. sad.
1: Yeah, that, re- that, that really struck me tonight. I was thinking about Highbury tonight and thinking about the the way that when we moved to the Emirates, it was supposed to be the, The start of a a new era or the start of an era in which we became ultra competitive. And when think about when we moved from Highbury, you know, this was a this was a club that had won doubles. It had got to a Champions League final. It had won the league. It had gone through a season unbeaten. And the Emirates were supposed to take us to a, a level beyond that. And now here we are, where it's a game, and I know there was some bad weather and it was a little bit cold, but you know, would that stadium have been empty tonight if Arsenal were playing Manchester City in a top of the table clash in a game that was really important for the destination of the Premier League title? No way. No hmm. way. You know people can make as many excuses as they like about you know why people weren't there or the roads were slippy or transport was this or trains were that and i don't you know I'm not saying those things weren't factors, but the reality is the uh, the attendance reflected the the i guess the outlook of the fan base at this moment in time
2: yeah, it's apathetic at the moment yeah yeah, and that's that's apathetic, and there's a lot of people who have spent a lot of money on tickets for that stadium who are making a conscientious decision not to go and watch their football team because they don't enjoy it.
1: Right. Well, look, uh, we'll have to just crack on and hope that we can <laughs> hope that we can uh, win a game on Sunday against uh, against Brighton. That will be good. And uh, look, we'll we'll catch up soon. Andrew, thanks a million. Thank you, guys. See you later. Thanks very much to Andrew. You can find him on Twitter at a allen sport. That is at a allen sport. And if you're looking for something a little extra to listen to this weekend, you can hear myself and Andrew and James from Gunner Blog. We've got a two part podcast about the Invincible series available exclusively to Arse blog members who sign up on Patreon. You might have seen that we have launched on Patreon during the week, and I want to thank everybody who has signed up already. Your support is hugely appreciated. It's been a bit overwhelming how many people have signed up, but thank you very much. If you haven't yet, and you don't know what Patreon is, uh, basically, it's a way for you to support what we do here at the site, because... We do have ads on the site, but we don't do any of the pop-ups and pop-unders and all that kind of stuff, or those ads that make you wait 10 seconds before you can click through to read an article. We don't have a gambling partner. We don't uh, bombard you with ads here, there, and everywhere, but ads are how we generate revenue, and ad revenue is dwindling. It's just a way of the world because people are using ad blocks, etc. So if you like what we do and you feel it's worth a couple of quid every month, then feel free to sign up at patreon.com forward slash Arsblog. It is at $6, which is about €5, or about £4.40, Uh, And what that will get you over the course of a month, you can work out for yourself, whether it's a pint or a gin and tonic or a couple of bus fares or a couple of cups of coffee or whatever it might be. And if you think Arsblog is worth that to you, then please feel free to sign up at patreon.com forward slash Arsblog. If you're in the EU, you have to pay VAT. There's no way around that, unfortunately. If you're outside the EU, you don't have to worry about that whatsoever. So uh, to launch, we have, as I said, a two-part podcast, myself, Andrew and James, talking about the Invincible system. Season. it's two one-hour episodes, more or less, with uh, some clips and bits and pieces woven through it. It's uh, It's a really good listen. And I've also got an exclusive interview with Tim Wheeler from the rock band Ash. Uh, He talks about his life and times as an Arsenal fan. As well as that, there's a long-read article from Tim Stillman about a night, a Friday night no less, when Arsenal won the league on goal difference. I know many of you will be thinking, ah, uh aha, but maybe it's not quite what you think. So to get access to all of those things and to support what we do here, and bear in mind everything that we do anyway is remaining free of charge as it always has been. Everything that's always been available will be free of charge. You can sign up right now. Now at patreon.com forward slash arsblog, and we thank you very much indeed for it. It's absolutely great, and uh, we're glad to have you on board.
0: Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at blue nile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door.
1: Now, let's crack on with a bit more chat about what has been a difficult week for Arsenal. As ever, I'm delighted to welcome back to the show Philippe Eau Claire. Hi, Philippe.
3: Hello, Andrew. Congratulations on on the uh, transformation, the metamorphosis of Arsenal's
1: blog. Oh, thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Well, thank you for down the years playing your part in in helping that happen. I appreciate it. Um, I, I
3: hope a beautiful red and white butterfly pops out of the chrysalis.
1: Yes, as opposed to the dirty hairy moth that might have uh, that might have emerged at a different stage. But hey, uh, <laughs> we won't we won't dwell on this. This is getting no. a bit strange. Um, trying times at Arsenal and two defeats in a week to uh, to Manchester City, three nil on both occasions. One in a cup final, one at home in the Premier League. Have we learned anything new from either of these games? No. <laughs> right. <laughs>
3: um, well, um, perhaps the only thing we've we've learned is perhaps that the capacity for reaction that um, this team possessed, actually not that long ago, seems to have gone. Yeah. Uh, as well as some of the other things that we're more familiar with, but uh, uh, and I mean capacity of reaction within a game and from one game to the other, which is I think one of the things that has. Uh, been um, quite um, I mean obviously against a, a formidable opponent mm. which we should not forget um, but I, I was at both games, both at Wembley and at the Emirates and um, I was struck by the uh, you know, the lack of reaction particularly at, at Wembley, it was not that really which was the problem at, at the Emirates, there was a uh, um, a faint attempt at reaction perhaps the Emirates, which there wasn't at Wembley, which is telling you how low the bar has been set. Because that probably is not the image that most people would have had,
1: but there you go. What conclusion do you draw from the fact that there was so little reaction from Arsenal in a cup final? And we know it's not the most prestigious cup final of the season, but it's an event and it's a trophy and it's silverware and it's a chance to win something. And you know, our record at Wembley, our record at Wembley has been absolutely outstanding over the last number of years. And I think we deserve great credit for that. We've beaten Mm -hmm. big teams there. We've beaten big teams on the way to winning finals. And I accept that you can't win them all. You know, that's fine. I get it. But it was worrying to see the Arsenal team just in, in so many ways, appear and believe that they were inferior on the day? Uh, as soon
3: as, yes, the, uh, the bubble was pricked, um, What what is not odd, what is actually very uh, dispiriting is that I, the, the, I, I was really encouraged by the first 15 minutes of that game and um, I thought the team had been very well set up in that 5-4-1. I thought that seems to be working and... Uh, people will say it's only 15 minutes what are you talking about well these 15 minutes happened just as more as much as the 75 which followed mm. or the 15 which followed which were awful um, and it, it looked yeah, okay the, the organization is all right city who are not a, perhaps as um not quite the, the the galloping cavaliers of um a few months ago i think they're they're finding some of them are finding it a little bit difficult physically speaking um but they they had problems, they couldn't fight way through, but as soon as there was the first mistake, which was Mustafa's mistake, of course, that's it. I mean, it was oh, okay, all right, we tried, you know, mm. we did it now let's let's think about something else, let's pretend we kicked the ball, let's pretend we be running about um as one uh, player who was with me last night with whom I watched the game put it um I won't give his name, but. I think you can probably guess who he was. Um, and he was looking at some of the sprints or recovery runs of Arsenal players. And he said, you know what? These kinds of runs are the ones you do for your stats not to look too bad when they analyze them the next morning.
1: Hmm. That, and he I was mean,
3: serious. He knew what he was talking about.
1: Well, I mean, isn't it interesting in that context then that Arsene Wenger came out after the game and it was strange to hear him say that this was physically our our highest performance of the season. And that must be clearly yeah. what he's talking about. He's, he's had a quick look at the numbers and the, the ground covered and everything else and thought that this was perhaps reflective of performance or effort. And what you're saying is that these guys are in some ways stats padding.
3: Yeah, um, it's just the way that you can run more and hide yourself more on, on a pitch. Mm. Um, there was an occasion last night. I mean, okay, I'm jumping from one, the League Cup to what happened last night, but I think the example is quite um, quite telling. Um, and again, I, I was watching the, the game with this player, a former Arsenal player, and um, we were looking at Mesut on the counter-attack. We actually had bit of space ahead of him and kind of zoomed forward quite quickly. And we looked at the movement of the four Arsenal players who were on the similar line or slightly ahead of him. Every single one of them did a run, which was not a run to get the ball, but to protect himself from getting the ball. And you you can hide that way. Mm. They were hiding. And, and um, which is again, you know, another yet another brick to add to the wall that particular wall i'm trying to build which is like stats lie and we should know more about it we should be more careful and unfortunately yes arsene used that argument i i heard him you know he used it when we did the interview the post-match interview for my french radio tv, TV station he used exactly that line and talked about the fact that physically actually they'd given a lot more and blah 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 but that's really um that's really using um a mask which is moth-eaten and falling apart. Um, everybody can see through it, and which I find myself the most, perhaps the most difficult thing to cope with because it's very difficult when you're talking to somebody you respect and admire as much as, as I admire and respect, I said, Wenger, regardless of all the criticism that, including here, has been coming his way. Um, it's it's like I mean, you, f- you feel like saying, well, Arsenal, Ar- you you know that I don't believe a word of what you're telling me, right? And, and, and you know that I know that you don't believe a word of what you're telling me. and Because if you do believe what you're telling me now, uh, you have a serious problem.
1: Is, is that the culture that he has created in terms of how the players are judged or in terms of how they, or what they expect from players in the sense that if their stats look good, then they can get away with whatever it is they feel like they can get away with. It's not about performance necessarily, or it's not about what you produce. It's about what your numbers say, or about what the distance cover says, or it's about how many passes you you make successfully. I mean, is that yeah. part of, of what he has uh, created within this squad?
3: I I think it's more, I don't think he's created it. Well, I see what you mean, or facilitated or or, or created an an environment in which people can use this as excuses. Yes, Yes, that's a a
1: good way way. of putting it.
3: Um, And um, I I, I don't quite think so. I think it's more of a moment when the players, I think almost in their minds are fully aware of the fact that this is probably as in probably being 99.99%. A chance of this happening this is the last season of Arsenal uh, they're already thinking about the future and um, they're basically in automatic pilot um, they're not they haven't downed tools you know I don't I don't like this thing when people start to have a go at players and saying ah oh, you know overpaid lazy bastards yeah. and all, all these sort of things um, there, there probably are some overpaid, lazy bastards uh, <laughs> out there, but uh, there are far and few between. The, these guys are first and foremost footballers, athletes, most of them actually really care an awful lot. Some care far too much, but there comes a moment when, you know, you don't... It's like I, I, I absolutely love music, but I've done a few shit gigs in my life.
4: Mm. And,
3: and, and 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 I was furious at myself and I knew that shit, I wasn't that good. And even I was fooling the people and, and, and I knew I wasn't that good. That's, and, and you carry on and, you know, uh, God, you try to mask it, but you, you, you're, you're not fooling yourself. And, and so they haven't downed tools. It doesn't happen like that. If you talk to ex-players, for back players to down tools, it's got to be something completely different. A, a serious conflict with somebody who's been an absolute pig with them.
1: Mourinho, at, Mourinho at Chelsea, for example, the season when he got sacked. Yeah, uh, that when, was when that was downing tools. Yeah. When,
3: the, when when they've been bullied and they say, "Well, enough bullying. We've had enough of that." Yeah. sorry. And and even then, I mean, there was also the um, uh, another famous example uh, is the one uh, at um, with Luis Enrique at Barcelona. Um, because he was not well-liked, to say the least, by some of the players, including Leo Messi. And what I've heard um, is that the players literally had discussions where they were saying, you know, should we just stop playing for that guy? We can't stand him. We don't want him anymore. And they decided, no, 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 we're going to play. We're going to play. We can't, we cannot face, we couldn't face ourselves um, if if we didn't, you know, we didn't play to the best of our ability. But comes a moment when things are going so badly that you know, you're you're left with this kind of a blanc of an attitude. You don't know exactly what it's like. It's just kind of resignation. Mm. And uh, interestingly, Pierre-Emerick Obama spoke to my friend Fabien Fougeret from SFR Sport, uh, yes, last night after the game. And he actually said, yes, I think some some of the players maybe are a bit resignated. Very rare you hear a player say that. Yeah. And... Again, it would be easy to use that as a, a means to beat them with a very hard stick, and probably they should be. But we are now in a situation where we should stop thinking about invective and implication, and we should more think about okay, this is one unholy mess. What can be done?
1: This is the reality of where Arsenal are exactly. at this moment in time, but yeah. yeah, I mean it, it, you know i don 't think it's I agree with you i don 't think these players have have necessarily given up, but I think they 're aware of the situation, and we 've been through periods like this in in the past where you talked at the start about the ability to get a reaction, and that's something that we've always had, even when times have been difficult under Arsene Wenger. You know, we go out, we get beaten 6-0, but somehow, after a demoralizing defeat, we come back and we draw 0-0 in our next big game, or we draw with Manchester United. You know, when you've had a big defeat, we've always been able to react. When our backs have been to the wall, we've had a cup run or done something, we've been able to scrap our way into the top four, but I think either Arsene's ability or the player's ability to believe in Arsene's uh, ability to deliver that has has so waned now at this point that it felt like the back three last season was the last, the absolute last resort that he had to change things and change the yep. dynamic and focus of his squad. And it's happened again. The form has uh, gone out the window and we don't have anything left. And I just think that the players are are just resigned. Like you say, there's a resignation. There's an acceptance of this is what we are or this is what this club is ava- or, are capable of. Uh, and the belief, I think, with perhaps each other and also in the manager and, and the, the methods is is gone.
3: Yeah. And also it's things of, for, for example, it's a lack of continuity in the thinking. And it's interesting that you should use the three uh, at the back uh, example for that because um, the... Uh, At Wembley, uh, we start in a a 5-4-1, basically. Mm. And for the game at the Emirates, well, suddenly it's back to the old 4-2-3-1. That doesn't, to me, sound very logical because the problem was not the system uh, in, in the League Cup final. The system actually worked when the players applied it properly and before Mustafi did the mistake. And afterwards, it was not a tactical problem. It was a psychological problem in front of an opponent we so driven, yeah. Even when it's when they're not at their absolutely absolute best, that you get overwhelmed, and uh, well, you're not there basically, uh, and and you can't react. I and mean, we're talking about reaction, you know. One of the best performances of the season, which is the two 0 win a- a- above Spurs, just came after we'd been spanked three one at Manchester City. Yeah, where we scored a goal, but honestly, it was a it was a joke. I mean, they could have won by whatever they wanted there, and um, so. The players will also talk between themselves, say, OK, we're okay, far at the back. Oh, far at the back. Oh, here comes Kolesinac. Also, there's weird things like, where's maitland nice go, gone? Can you explain to me? I mean, he was one of the bright spots in the uh, early season. Mm. When, I mean, I, and I know I'm, I'm just like throwing different things. Like I, I've been shopping and I've been shopping for loads of things and I'm putting loads of various items like, some bananas and some socks and a USB key and <laughs> oh it's funny by bag and I'm putting it on the table. But that's the way I think about Arsenal at these moments because I I can't see any logic in anything anymore. And I'm wondering if it must be like this for the players. Um they, they it they're it's they're rudderless.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
3: Uh, you will have noticed as well the empathy of 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 Vanguard on the touchline.
1: Well I was gonna I was gonna ask you about that because uh for him to sit there and not make Any changes during the game, you know, it was strange because I can't remember the last time we've gone through a game where we haven't made any kind of substitution. I was trying to figure out the logic or what he was thinking. I was wondering, uh, was he just looking at his bench and thinking, well, what's the point? Who am I going to throw yeah. on? That's going to make any difference in this game? Am I not just feeding them or that particular player to to these lions to a certain extent? Uh, and I mean by lions, I mean Manchester City players. You know, I don't think the crowd reaction. We'll touch on the crowd in, in a moment. But yeah. I was going to ask you. You know, when you when you see Arsene Wenger sitting there on the sideline rubbing his head, head in his hands, looking distraught at what's happening on the pitch, but not reacting to it in any way. What do you feel when you look at him now?
3: Uh, sadness. Mm. Say I'm, I'm, I don't feel any anger or anything like that because I think I know how much he, he cares. And I don't think he's a dupe of, he can see, you know, Of the numbers that his analysts give him, or things like that, and the fact that he's not even trying, not even exhorting, not even being um, a kind of uh, clap your hands manager like Zidane. Yeah, (laughs) Um, he certainly will never be, and never has been a, a Guardiola type of manager who goes completely incensed because he's noticed that the left back hasn't done the tracking for that particular run of the opposite number eight and which had been told to him about 16 times in yeah. training and he goes completely bonkers about it. Yeah. He's not like that. He's not a Bielsa, he's not a Conte, he's not a Mourinho, he's, he's a Wenger, which means when he generally intervenes, is to have, he, when he, wake, he goes up to the touchline his technical zone, there is something he wants to watch more closely. That's, that's, that's what the, the, the trigger is that, oh, there is something that has caught his eye. He wants to concentrate on that for a minute. Uh, or otherwise, he's going to have a uh, given earful to the fourth official. Mm.
1: Um,
3: but he very rarely gives instructions, precise instructions from the touchline. He might just wave his arms and, and sort of in general direction of somebody saying, well, you should have been more up there, you know, or whatever. But he's not one of those managers who does hand signals and so forth. Yeah. Or or using whistling like Brendan Rogers, who thinks he's a sheepdog. <laughs> um, uh, it, it's a... Uh, it's not his personality, but the complete lack of action and the, the look on his face, which is one of uh, angry resignation, uh, really grim, uh, hardly exchanging a word with, with Steve Bold or anybody else for that matter. It's, it just shows, I mean, he must be aware of the fact that th- these are the last rights which are being given here. Yeah, and it must be absolutely horrible. Well, you talk
1: uh, you talk about resignation on the part of the players, but if there's resignation also on the part of the manager, how how do you go on, or how do you try and make it better in any way? If if both sides can see very clearly what the situation is, like the the players, and I don't doubt for a second that the players respect and like Arsene Wenger, but. There, there must come a point where they, they, they don't believe in the methods anymore. Not so much the man himself, but the methods and what they're being asked to do. And Arsene Wenger, if you were to pick three words to describe him, one of the first words would be intelligent. And mm-hmm. he's been in the game for so long. He's been experienced. He's seen this. If not something he's experienced himself, he must have seen it countless times at other clubs where you can see players uh, have that situation going on with their manager. The manager, despite all the hard work, is not able to get from his players what he wants to get. Arsene Wenger can't be blind to that situation that he's yeah. not able to get what he wants from these players. I mean, I'm st- I'm sort of in the dark as to what it is that he wants from them and how he wants to get it from them. I, I think your point about uh, formation changes and switches, you know, is something I've talked about before, that there's a confusion about what we are and what we're trying to do, but he can't be blind to that. So what happens? Is it just stumble along? Both uh, Both parties just stumble along and it gets worse and more? yeah more more frustrating for everybody i mean is there a case and uh, we might talk about the the board and and what have you but is there a case that it could be beneficial if there was clarity about his situation um if there was an announcement that look it's it's over it's going to be done in the summer that from all sides from the manager side this clarity the players can then at least dig in and give this manager uh their best for the final few months the fans uh, I think it will I'm not sure it will ease the anger of everyone but certainly it will give uh, provide a light at the end of this this Arsenal tunnel. Uh, and it would perhaps, I think as Jamie Carragher alluded to last night on Sky, uh, allow him to go out uh, with a kind of send-off that his Arsenal career deserves. I mean, is there, a, is there a good case to be made for doing that or is that just not yeah. within the realms yeah, of I, what I, I, this club can I, I do?
3: Think that, I think you've made the case very well, Andrew, and I think m- most of us would agree that this is the right thing to do. Um, I, even better, it would be great if it were Arsene himself who said, guys, you know, I've had a long, hard look at myself. Um, things are not working um, for the club as, as as I wish they they were. Uh, and I think the time has, has come for me to consider, you know, leaving it and blah, blah. So these are going to be my last few months in charge. We're safe. We're not going to be relegated. Okay. The only interest which is left is the Europa League. Uh, with our luck, we... <laughs> We've got a Milan side which suddenly, which was absolute shite uh, not that long ago which suddenly has found second wind mm. uh, with Gattuso just for our luck. Uh, and then you might imagine that, okay, if, if, if you know, f- for example, if, uh, okay, the Europa League is the last thing which matters uh, for us, maybe the players would actually say, okay, well, we're going to, you know, we're really going to go for this one. We're going to have a right go. And, um, and maybe that will give them a sense of purpose, which is, badly lacking Uh, I've just done something because as I was talking to you I was wondering in terms of numbers because at the moment you know we're sixth or whatever it is I mean it doesn't doesn't really matter but I was comparing the the last season which was already pretty difficult but which had at least the uh, great uplift of the FA Cup run um, which this season definitely has not Um, and last season I think we've forgotten that We were in the top four until the 26th round of the Premier League. Hmm. 26th round of the Premier League, having topped the table on two occasions. The last one on the 15th day, 15th weekend of the Premier League. If you look this season, we've never been higher than fourth and for only three rounds. I said three rounds. We've been in the top four. The rest of the time we've been out of it Mm. so the decline is huge it's a decline in every respect it's a decline in um, the quality of the games that we've seen with perhaps one or two performances the performance against Manchester United was wonderful despite the the loss think about Tottenham perhaps Mm. that's more or less about it I mean I don't know maybe I forget one um the season before there might have been six or seven or eight great performance or good performances and a couple of great ones, like the three win win over Chelsea and the FA Cup games, which were really terrific. Um and then you know the decline is not just decline in the number of points and, and this and that and it's, it's just the standards have dropped absolutely colossally. Yeah. As far today from the top four, as we have been since before Arsene arrived at the club.
1: Well, I think we're closer to the bottom of the table than we are to the top, which... uh, It says it all. It says it all. I mean, that was evident last night, or the, the, the way that this is affecting the club and the way that it's affecting fans was evident last night in the attendance at the Emirates. And it was a cold night and the conditions were not great, but... How big a part do you think that played in relation to the general apathy that exists within the fan base at this moment in time? I spoke a little bit earlier in the show to to Andrew Allen, and my contention is that if Arsenal and Man City were battling for the Premier League title, and this was a crucial encounter between two top teams, I think the Emirates would have been pretty full last night, regardless of what the weather was.
3: I entirely agree. Um, uh, A a friend of mine, a fellow season season ticket holder, uh, you know, we've got like like um, a little club, like all all Arsenal supporters have, I suppose. When you can't go to a game, you know, you you know, you've got your mates who can't come, and blah blah. blah. So your your own exchange, basically. Yeah. And normally for a game against Manchester City, uh, only the best team in Europe, with Barcelona at the moment, people would be biting your arm to get to get there, and out of our pool of 15 tickets, seven went unclaimed, seven went unclaimed. We're talking about guys who are season ticket holders, some of them for three or four decades. We simply thought, you know what, I'd like to go, but uh, first of all, I might break a leg when I get out of my flat. Um, But do do I think it's worth it? No, I don't think so. Mm. And they don't do that because they're disconnected or they're rich people who don't care because they're the prone, you know, sandwich eaters, whatever. Sure. Not at all. They do that because they think, I don't want more of the same. You know, I, I, it's this one moment you don't want to inflict to pile of misery upon misery upon misery upon yourself. You could see what was coming. Everybody had more or less seen the game and read the game before it happened, more or less as we saw it. And so people decided to stay in the warmth of their own homes and at least you know, be able to uh, uh, to uh, make themselves a, a, a cup of coffee that wouldn't cost three pounds fifty, or or actually to um, to have a very strong drink to uh, yeah. to survive the horror. Um, and as I said, seven out of my fifteen mates from a little club um, couldn't find takers for their tickets, so that was. Half
1: of us. Yeah, that's about fifty that's percent, huge. and that's I about what never the yeah, and that's kind of it tallies with what we saw in terms of the the attendance at the Emirates last night. Um, yeah. I mean, I think eight thousand and four hundred tickets <laughs> sold. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, tickets yeah. sold. I mean, that's that's a different thing. Um, what can you do but laugh when they announce you know that kind of a figure? Uh, and I don't doubt those tickets were sold, but really? no, the, no, the no, fact no. that the fact that those tickets were sold and the fact that there were what 25,000 people 30,000 people in the emirates last night maybe 30 night? Uh, maybe 30 something like that that tells you the that tells you the story doesn't it that uh, that, that w- what's happening on the pitch is the biggest driver of what engages fans and what's happening on the pitch is not good enough and has not been good enough for for some time um i mean i think for me you know watching last night the the worst part wasn't going 3-0 down And I have issues with our defending and the way that we let in some of those goals. As good as City were, we made it a bit too easy for them, I think. But I think watching City come out in the second half and just take their foot off the gas, knowing that it was comfortable, it almost felt like they were doing us a favor. And I found that hard to deal with.
3: Yeah, I agree with you. And I, I asked myself the question, are they actually almost taking pity on us? Yeah,
1: that's what I felt
3: like. And um, part of it was probably it's a very cold night. We've got to be a bit careful, physically speaking. Um, you know, you can't just risk too much. We've got some big games coming. It's an opportunity to. In fact, you know, the performance I saw from um, from City last night reminded me of um, a couple of games in the um, uh, unbeaten season where we actually went to 2-0 or 3-0 quite quickly and then just were happy to control things after that and not create an awful... I think there was one game in Sunderland. I can't remember if it was that year or the year afterwards. Mm. But we basically went 3-0 up and, you know, the game was over. Everybody knew the game was over. And the players thought, for, there's no need to embarrass those guys in front of us. You know, they're professionals... You know, it's a bit, and it's great when you're the guy who is the uh, merciful <laughs> party. Mm. When you're not, it's pretty horrible. Yeah. Uh, because clearly they were, what they did, they, play sec- they played in second gear all through the game, but there are moments when they just put the turbo on and a couple of accelerations, and they're lethal when they do that. But uh, again, the covering was uh, non existent. Uh, the idea that you can survive with Shaka and Ramsey in a defensive role in front of a back four which changes every game, it seems, is insane. Um, makes absolutely no sense. Um, and it doesn't, that doesn't reflect well on Wenger because it's not as if, you know, um, as it, as did he go completely gung-ho or something like that? I don't know. Uh, I don't know what was in his mind give them a chance perhaps to express themselves more in front of their home crowd the results had been good not great against the big teams because we drew against liverpool we drew against chelsea we were beaten by manchester united to give them a second chance but it just didn't it just didn't mm. work and there's one moment when you know you people say, the pundits are saying we're Looking for new words when we talk about the splendor of Manchester City, and and, and we're saying, well, I'm we're looking, struggling for words when it comes to talk about what Arsenal is going through at the moment, and um, so it's a means of a, we're we're riffing on the same three notes, yeah, and uh, you know you can be the best best improviser on the planet. There's one moment when the reservoir of ideas runs dry, really, and and, and it's only events which give you um, something to talk about and events like what we saw last night mm.
1: Arsene Wenger has uh, long been considered the master of his own future in many ways that I think mm-hmm. even this week he, he said something about you know uh, uh, how the job it was his until he decided otherwise uh, I think in an interview with, with B In sport he said something along those lines I'm paraphrasing but well, how do we view the role of the board in all this, Philippe? Uh, the the majority shareholder, Stan Kroenke, Ivan Gazidis. We are starting to see things change in the background, of course, with the uh, not-director of football and the head of recruitment and Ivan Gazidis yep. perhaps being a bit more front and centre. But as we saw last season, when times were tough, when Arsenal were going through a difficult period and and everything was focused on Arsene Wenger, all the questions about his future, all the questions about his uh, contract, whether he was going to sign or everything else, there has been conspicuous silence from board level. There has been... Nothing at all from these people. They don't stick their heads above the parapet whatsoever for fear that somebody might remember that they're there and in some way responsible for the direction of the football club, that it is not simply down to Arsene Wenger, what's going on at this club. So do they have to get their shit together? Is it about time that somebody uh, made a decision rather than leaving it in the manager's hands and, and hiding behind that decision?
3: Yep, the same way that players can hide on the pitch, a board can can hide in the comfort of their own offices, counting the money. Um, uh, this, yeah, and uh, I, and that maybe is more worrying than anything, don't you think, Andrew? Because mm. uh, Arsenal is and will always be uh, a great club. Uh, the, financially, it is as sound as, as anything. It's the seventh richest club in the world. That won't change. The fan base is incredibly loyal and um, varied and rich and all the things you want. We have a fantastic history. Uh, we still have got some fairly decent players, by the way. We shouldn't think that they're all you know, to be put on the rubbish heap. Um, we can certainly get more. <laughs> but uh, when it comes to taking decisions, one of the reasons why Arsenal has always been the master of his own future is because nobody else was had the capacity to take any decision. And, and you could say, okay, Ivan Gazidis probably is a, is a very capable man. He's a very capable CEO, uh, particularly when it comes to commercial um, deals and things like that, or making sure the company runs smoothly. Josh Kronko is spending time in. The, to be honest, I'm, I'm not going to have an opinion about Josh Kronko because I've never met him. I don't know what he's like. I don't even know what he sounds like. I've never heard him saying anything of interest. Have you?
1: No, I believe My he did homes. an interview. I believe he did a podcast this week. Uh, I think it's a, uh, an NBA podcast or an American sports podcast anyway, in which he touches on certain elements of uh, of what's going right. on at Arsenal. But I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, but that, that'll be the first time I think that we've heard it. And uh, I, I don't know if you've heard anything like this, but certainly I've heard that this summer uh, whatever the changes might be made uh, elsewhere, whether at managerial level, there are supposed to be some changes being made at board level, and he could take a very primary role yes. in that
3: yeah um, which is which would be uh, yeah uh, which wouldn't be surprising I mean he's been groomed for that but the, what for us is more worrying is that who takes care of the footballing decisions because um, he's no football expert um, and you can't just become a football expert or uh, a great football executive in three months you know having yeah. an internship as it were <laughs> um, <laughs> But you're also looking at who is going to, you know, when you draw a short list of candidates to succeed, Arsene Wenger, when you, um, for, for recruitment, we have a better idea because now that Raúl and uh, and Sven are here, um, our little Tom and Jerry's are itchy and scratchy. <laughs> um, they probably will be in charge of that. So you could imagine a more collegial type of leadership, yeah. Which, in a way, is quite American, you know, where things tend to be... Uh, you've got one overseeing, <clears throat> excuse me, chairman, CEO, know what you want, know whatever. And then you've got guys who've got very precise tasks, and, and it's actually to the, it's cut in minute, minute morsels when it comes down to the, to the way the team is run with the defensive coach or the offense coach, and the this and that, and the messing. So you'll have the team of analysts, which is already in place, So I'm wondering if if we're going towards, you know, one of these, a a manager of of that ilk, which obviously Wenger cannot be. He's very much of a different school. And which is why I'm wondering amongst, you know, I've heard like you, and I think we have to go through that, uh, about the names which have been mentioned recently in the press. And I'm also, I'm wondering in those, among those names, which one would fit in this kind of more uh, American style type of management, which I think we are aiming to, and that they're aiming for. Mm -hmm. Um, very different, for example, from the system uh, which is in place uh, at Manchester City, where, where Guardiola is very much the master of all he, he commands And he's got people who are his friends, his confidence, but they are relaying these decisions. And the, the college of decisions are taken within a very small cell, a small group of people. Um, or a system which is in place in, uh, at Spurs is also very different. Um, where it's clear that the manager has got an awful, awful lot of say in what is happening in the running of the club, uh, even though he it remains, of course, an employee. I think they're, they're, they're aiming for a model which is quite different and a, a little bit um, untested or untried in, in this country yet. Yeah, think they, go, they want to go far further. I mean, that's my feeling. So they, they want, I don't know. I've, I haven't been in their board meetings. Yeah. That's the impression I get. That, when I'm looking at the signs and the symptoms, uh, I say, yes, I think that's what they're going for,
1: which would make complete sense. Sure. Let me ask you just very quickly, finally, uh, two things. You talked about you know, possible replacements, uh, and we spoke about the board uh, and their role in what's going on at this moment in time. One, what did you think of the short list of candidates that came out somehow – got leaked to the press to all the members of the press at exactly the same time Uh, Mm -hmm. what did you think of the names on that and two what did you think of the fact that that list came out very shortly in the wake of a cup final defeat at Wembley and a a disappointing day uh, for for everybody
3: well at the beginning I thought it was all poppycock Um, and then after a while I thought well actually no it's not poppycock I don't think so um, so the timing is a little bit unfortunate, perhaps. Um, not very
1: elegant. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it.
3: Yeah. Um, as to the names some of them made to make a great deal of sense, I mean, to be honest, the 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 people who are talked about, uh, but though the, what strikes me is that their profiles are wildly different. Yeah. Wildly different in terms of style of play, age group, experience, personality, it's more as if, oh, those guys, yeah, they would make these are you know different scenarios which are open to um, I mean, I'd heard about Joachkimlev a long time ago, and I think we'd actually worked, talked about it um, a few months ago last yeah.
2: year.
3: Um, Jardim, I can completely understand, and uh, because I think that's one of the great mysteries of for me is that when people started to pick all these players from Monaco, Uh, why they didn't pick the guy who actually had made them into these players was a bit of a mystery um i rate him very 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 highly indeed um who are the other ones Mikel arteta um there's really good things said about him uh in manchester um very he's become very close and very important to guardiola in his setup he also has got, um, obviously, would have a link with us. He also had the hair, he has the haircut, as we all know.
1: He also has the complete lack of managerial experience. As much as I like yeah. the idea of of that kind of appointment, um, you know, even Guardiola and, and Zidane had seasons at the the B teams, which is actual Indeed. proper managerial experience. It's not that it's not managing the reserves; it's managing a competitive team in a competitive league.
3: And also managing it, partly in the case of of, of um, Guardiola, after having been schooled in probably the greatest coaching schools of of them all, uh, mm. which is basically he's a he's a son of Cruyff and he's a son of Mikel's, mm. and 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 so he even as a player he was trained in that. There are Some clubs which prepare you better to be a manager than others, and Barcelona is definitely one of those. Yeah, and you could say the same thing about Real Madrid, by the way. Uh, it also depends on your experience you know who who have you played for Z- din zidane well he's paid for a few decent managers let's put it that way <laughs> uh, uh, and Mikel arteta has, has worked with some good managers and and one perhaps great manager with arsene wenger that's it yeah that is it basically that's that's and who is not you know in terms of tactics and things we know what our set is. Mm. So, yes, I, I found that quite strange. And, for example, the fact that I would have expected the name of Patrick Vieira to be in there because Patrick has it ticks all the boxes, to me. don't know. Is it because he's gone too far? He's, he's a traitor, to use a, a word which is very much... Um, fashionable these days
1: well i mean uh, i don't know that he can be a traitor if if there was no role for him at arsenal what's he supposed to do i, entirely,
3: sit, I agree entirely it's sit on his, his arse, arse and speak. just wait maybe, maybe he let it be known you know patrick is not it's not somebody who's going to shy away from telling that you know home truth to people is mls for me, for me it would be a much more obvious yeah. fit you know he's got experience with the youngsters he's a legend of our club he absolutely loves he's, he's a gunner and, and and also he's had now the experience okay people say it's only MLS well it's only MLS but in a capacity where he's really a manager English style manager there he's really and he's using it as a means literally to cut his teeth uh, into particularly tactical preparation um, and 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 training sessions and all this thing he's learning it and he's a very 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 um, uh, he's a quick fast and and serious learner by all. Everything I've heard, everything I've been told, talking to him as well on a couple of occasions, the guy is so driven. So I was surprised not to see his name in there, but there you go. Mm. Uh, The other name I was surprised not to see mentioned is, of course, Carlo Ancelotti, but maybe Ancelotti has already um, sorted a a job for next year. It's possible. I don't know. Uh, Otherwise, it would be for me, you know, not even like you wouldn't even discuss it. We, we'll need somebody who is going to be a ferryman, like the Italian the say, and we, we're going to have a rocky season next, next time round.
0: Mm.
3: And well, you also, you need to have a, a manager who is going to attract players to you, which is important.
1: Yes. Yeah, and I if mean, you, it, got
3: to, you know, Joachim Löw, I, and, and I, I thought, oh, okay, with you know, the germanization of the club, which is happening, well, maybe it would make sense. Oh. But Löw, on the other hand, his is club experience is minimal. Mm yeah I think Austria... Well, forget again. that i mean yeah. he's he's not he's not somebody who's proved himself you know at a, a very high level with a club with a national team yes for goodness' sake, of course he has but it's a completely different exercise it's got nothing to do
1: i don't I don't see how anybody could come from that environment into a club environment at a club as big as ours, so going through the change that is going to be so seismic this summer i just i just do not see how. How he would yep. be, he would be the guy. Um, it, it is going to be a decision that will uh, obviously have a huge impact on on the future of of the football club, the future direction of the football club. I think it's a very interesting point to say that you need a, a manager that will attract players, uh, and I think what's been very interesting, even in the in the dying embers of Arsene Wenger's Arsenal career, that the players he's still a draw for many of them because of his reputation in the game and his reputation for for improving players. I, I don't think he's done that really to a great extent for a number of years now. I think that... Uh, unfortunately has been, is part of his past, has been a very successful part of his past, but it is a key factor for players, um, you know, that reputation. And, uh, you know, uh, just as we draw this to a close, I'm very glad that we've gone through this conversation about potential managers and we haven't uh, mentioned Brendan Rodgers. So that's a, that's a positive way to end this. <laughs> I, I
3: mentioned his name. Did you? So- well, I mentioned his name, but beforehand, when I was talking about the signals he gave to his players, like uh, oh,
1: yes, you did, along. yeah, like a like a sheepdog. That's that's sheepdog, it. yeah, yeah, but not. That's fine. I'm I'm happy with Brendan Rodgers as a sheepdog, but not as manager of Arsenal. So, <laughs> Philippe, um, thank you very much indeed. As ever, despite the trying times, I always feel better after I speak to you, and I'm sure people will as well. And uh, uh, okay. we we'll, we'll, we'll catch you soon.
3: Okay, Andrew, same here. Bye-bye.
1: Thank you, as ever, to Philippe. You can find him on Twitter at Philippe Eau Claire. That is at Philippe Eau Claire. Um, there's such a lot to talk about, such a lot to think about uh, with regards to Arsenal at this moment in time. Such a lot has to change. And, you know, I don't take any pleasure or gain anything from seeing Arsenal in a situation like this. Like all of you, I want to see my team win. I want to see my team uh, achieve things and be successful. But I'm also aware that football is competitive. Sport is competitive. You can't win every game. You can't win every trophy. But as long as you feel like things are going in the right direction, that everybody is pulling in the same direction, that there is at least a kind of a plan to make things happen, to be as good as we can be, then you can live with that side of sport, I think. It's when you see so many things going wrong in so many areas and nobody seems either ready or willing or able to fix it or they're not fixing it because it doesn't suit a particular agenda it's frustrating obviously and uh, I think between now and the end of the season we could We could be in for some even more trying times. I know the Europa League is our one saving grace. It's what we've got left. It is a trophy. It is a a piece of tangible success that could still come out of this season. But whether or not we can do it uh, remains to be seen. I can't lie and say I'm particularly hopeful about that, the way we're playing with just four wins from our last 14 It's difficult to be anything other than pessimistic about what's ahead, certainly in the very short-term future in the games that we still have to play between now and the end of the season. But look, we're here, and we enjoy the good times, and we enjoy the successes when they happen. The thing is, unless you support a club like a Barcelona or a Real Madrid or a Bayern Munich uh, who have a 90% chance of winning the big thing every season, then you're going to have bad times. And I think we're going through some relatively, and that is an important word, we're going through some relatively bad times. Maybe it's me being hopelessly optimistic this time, but they don't last forever. Things come around again, and... You know, this is a club with huge potential, with great resources, brilliant stadium in the biggest city in Europe. We're still something of a draw in terms of our name. I know it's been uh, it's not quite what it was, but, uh, you know, with the right man in charge, with new focus, with more from uh, the top level, from executive level. Then there's no reason why this uh, trajectory has to continue. It can go the other way, and hopefully that's uh, exactly what happens. Until we get there, until that starts happening, though, there might be an element of you know hide behind the sofa when you're watching Arsenal. But look, I, I hope that uh, I hope that we can win on Sunday against Brighton, and um, I don't know what else I can say. I really don't. I'm just going to keep fingers crossed that we get a win. Everything does feel a little better after you've had a victory. So uh, I think we could all use that, particularly as we have a very uh, challenging Europa League game to come next week as well. But look, we'll be here. Myself and James will be here to cover that uh, on Monday with the Arsecast Extra. And we'll we'll obviously catch you in all the usual places throughout the week. Thank you, as ever, for listening. Really do appreciate it. Hope you enjoyed the show. Have a great weekend. Let's hope the football can give us something to smile about. Until the next one, cheers. Bye-bye. Hey.
0: Join us as
1: we take another enchanting adventure into the world of the Angriest Man on Twitter.
4: Oi, Wenger, This time you've gone too far. For years I had a unique selling point by being the Angriest Man on Twitter. Now everyone is the Angriest Man on Twitter and I don't stand out from the crowd anymore. So, I have taken to writing children's books. It helps me feel calm about myself and the world. Here's a little sample for my upcoming publication. It's called Little Johnny and the Four Bunnies. Little Johnny went out on a summer's day into the beautiful meadow and he saw four cute little bunnies. Hello, bunnies, said Johnny. Sharp, you little cunt, said the biggest bunny, and he smashed Johnny's head in with a spade that he had hidden behind a tree. They took him down to their warren and they feasted on his gizzards in a bacchanalian bunny orgy of flesh and blood. I think it's going to go down very well with the kids,
1: actually. Next week, another madcap laugh-a-minute romp with the angriest man on Twitter.
4: Everything is shit!